And I'll turn to God's holy word. We'll turn first of all, we'll return to Revelation chapter uh, 13. We'll read the, the passage from 2 Thessalonians in connection with the text in, in a moment. Let's just first of all turn to Revelation chapter 13. In chapter 12, John sees a vision of a woman with a child who's pregnant, and the dragon who stands in front of her is ready to destroy the child the moment he's born. We know that the child represents the church, the chi- or the, the woman represents the church, and the child represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we turn to chapter 13, and there John sees two beasts. The first beast that rises from the sea, the second beast that rises from the earth, and these two beasts are in service to the dragon that he sees in chapter 12. So we begin reading God's word, Revelation 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the earth and all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of, of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here they call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. And makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet live. And was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and, make, and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both, great and, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, 
for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So far, reading from God's word, let us sing together in response from the words of the psalmist of Psalm 3, Psalm 3. We find our text this morning from the second letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, chapter 2. The texts are verses 9 through 12, but we will start our reading at verse 1 in order to put that within the context of this chapter. So let us return to God's word. We'll begin reading at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, at verse 1. And here Paul writes to the believers in the city of Thessalonica, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come, that no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. And then begins our text. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So far, our reading of God's holy word. Brothers, sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is writing his letter to the Thessalonians, and it appears that the believers there had heard reports, or perhaps better, you can even say rumors, that the Lord Jesus had already returned back from heaven. When they heard these rumors, they were upset and they became alarmed because they thought that somehow they may have missed and the coming of the Lord in Jesus. That was something that was very, very important to them because they were looking forward to his coming back because they believed that when the Lord Jesus came back, they would also be, he would also deliver them from the terrible persecutions that they were facing here in this city. 
And so Paul is writing this letter to them in order to, to also assure them, no, you haven't missed the, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he explains in the first part of chapter 2 that we read that first the rebellion or the apostasy must happen. When people will turn away from the Lord God. And then, and then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, who sets himself up as God, the God of this world, and who demands that all of mankind comes and bows down and worships him. And so in the first part of chapter 2, uh, Paul warns the believers not to be deceived by uh, the, all kinds of false reports and rumors that they have heard about the coming of the Lord in Jesus. He says to them, he says, if you listen carefully to God's word, the very word that I brought to you and I was with you, then you would not be deceived by the rumors that you are hearing. But Paul also wants to give them encouragement. And therefore he reminds them that the Lord God is holding back the man of lawlessness from coming to this world and from doing his terrible work. And so Paul reminds us, this evil is all around us. Even today we still find evil all around us. But, but Paul says, but remember this, the Lord is holding back the evil one. So that as his people, as his church, you can continue to exist. And you're able to continue to serve the Lord, your God. And then Paul gives this wonderful assurance when he says that when the man of lawlessness comes, then the Lord Jesus Christ will also return. And he will return with a word of his mouth and his splendor. He will destroy the lawless one. And so in verses 9 through 12, our text this morning, Paul wants to give us some more details about this lawless one who is coming. In the beginning of this chapter, in verse 4, he writes that the lawless one will exalt himself by setting himself up in God's temple. And he will proclaim himself to be God. That's in verse 4. And then you come to verse 9, the beginning of our text. And here Paul, in these, these verses, will explain to us how the lawless one, who we also may call the Antichrist, how he will achieve all this. He says he will come with great power, that he might deceive mankind into believing that he is God. And so that the people will come and they will worship him. And therefore Paul says you need to be aware of the deception of the evil one. So that you do not fall for his lies. And so this morning I may proclaim to you God's word under this theme. Beware of the, of the deception of the lawless one. Beware of the deception of the lawless one. Under that theme we're going to look at three things. First of all we look at his deceptive work. Secondly we look at those who are deceived by him. And thirdly, we look at God's judgment, and God's judgment is a powerful delusion. Paul writes uh, that when the lawless one comes, he will come in accordance with the work of Satan. What Paul is doing in here in our text is he's making a comparison, almost a parallel, uh, between the coming of the lawless one as the Antichrist and the coming of the Lord Jesus as the Christ. We know that, as, that believers expect uh, that, at the, end, that the end of, at the end of the world, the Lord Jesus will come back. He'll come back from heaven. And so we await his return from heaven. Well, Paul says, yes, so we are waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus from heaven. But that will not happen before the coming, and he uses the same word coming, parousia, uh, the coming of the law, will not happen before the coming of the lawless one. 
And so before the end comes, first the lawless one will come, and then the Lord Jesus as the Christ will come, and he will destroy the Antichrist. When the lawless one comes, he says he's going to come in accordance with the work or the power of Satan. Here again, you find another parallel between, uh, with Christ. Remember that the apostle Peter said to the people in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, he said that the Lord Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, and that the Lord Jesus went around, that is around Israel, doing good and healing. And so there Peter says, and in Acts 10, the Lord Jesus, when he was here on this earth, he did his work in accordance with the power that was given to him by God and by the Holy Spirit. Right, everything, Peter says, that Christ did was done out of the power that comes from the Lord God above. But now Paul says, but when the lawless one comes, every work that he does will be done out of the power of Satan, who is his master. The power of the lawless one comes from the evil one, while everything that the Lord Jesus does will come from the power of God. And so one thing we need to, to keep in mind here, beloved, is that the scriptures remind us and teach us, and we find it time and again uh, that Satan indeed has great power, and we should never underestimate the power of Satan. You may remember an instance in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 and following, where the Lord Jesus uh, uh, healed a demon-possessed man and cast out the demon. And the people said, could this be the son of David? thinking maybe this is the one who's going to come as the Messiah and uh, who has power from God to do this. Remember the, the reaction of the leaders of Israel was one in which they tried to discredit the Lord Jesus by telling the people, oh, Jesus doesn't do this by the power of God. Remember, he does it by the power of Beelzebub. Beelzebub, the prince of demons. It shows us that, that the Jews already clearly understood the power that the devil had. And they were aware of his power. Of his power. Just as striking though. Is the reference that we have to the beast. That we read about. That comes out of the sea. In Revelation chapter 13. This beast we're told is. Or this beast you can say. Is, is the man of lawlessness. Or he is the antichrist. That Paul is writing about here in our text. In 2 Thessalonians 2. And so John sees in verse 2 of Revelation 13 that the dragon gave, the dragon who is Satan, gave this beast his power. John tells us in the previous chapter, in chapter 12, verse 9, Revelation, that the great dragon was the ancient serpent called the devil or the deceiver or Satan who leads the whole world astray. And so this lawless one we read in Revelation is the great beast who, who receives power from Satan. And so the Lord then also warns us through all that, beloved, that we should never under, ever underestimate the power of Satan to do evil in this world in which we live. And so Paul writes that the lawless one displayed the power of Satan in all kinds of counterfeit miracles and signs and wonders. Miracles refers to the power to be able to do great things. A sign points to some underlying uh, truth. You do a sign in, in order to, to prove a certain point that you're trying to make. In this case, 
The lawless one uses his power as a, in order to support the lie that he is uh, teaching. And wonders, what wonders are done in order to inspire the awe of people. And so here again, the, law, the work of the lawless one is compared to the work of the Lord Jesus. Peter on the day of Pentecost tells the people that what they see happening here in Pentecost with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the tongues of fire on each one of the believers, he says that's being done, this is being done by the Lord Jesus the one who was accredited to you by God, by miracles, by wonders, and by signs. That's Acts 2.22. And so as, as Jesus did miracles, signs, and wonders, so Paul says the Antichrist will do the same. Well, the very reason that the Lord Jesus did all these, Peter says to the people on Pentecost, is so that he might be accredited to you by God. Right, Jesus did these miracles, these signs, these wonders, in order that the people might truly believe that he is the one who is sent by God above. And so when Jesus healed the demon-possessed man in Matthew chapter 12, remember the people, they were astonished, and they thought, this must indeed, they must be the son of David whom God has promised. And what do the leaders of Israel do? Well, they try to discredit the Lord Jesus by saying, no, he does this all by the power of Beelzebub the prince of demons. And so when the man of lawlessness comes, Paul says he will do miracles, he will do signs, he will do wonders, in order that the people may look to him with awe, that they might bow down to him, that they might worship him as their God. And so his purpose is to make people believe that he really is the God of the universe. Now that leads us to ask the question, so what exactly are those great things that he is going to do? Paul himself does not give us any details. But in Revelation chapter 13, verse 13, we're told about the great things that the second beast who arises from the earth is going to do. And so remember the first beast who rises up out of the sea, he's going to set himself up as God. And the people are going to come and they're going to worship him. The second beast who rises up from the earth comes and what does he do? He serves the first beast who rose up from the sea. How does he do that? By making all the people of the earth come and worship the first beast. And how does he make the people do that? Well, verse 13 says, He performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of man. Reminds us of Elijah at Mount Carmel when he called down fire from heaven to burn the sacrifice. Verse 15 tells us that he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that that first beast that rose from the, from the sea could speak and that second beast then also forced everyone to worship that image and to receive the mark of the beast, which is 666. Now remember as we're looking at all of this, beloved, that, that we're dealing with apocalyptic literature, in which God is describing the events that will happen in the end, but he uses broad, broad paint strokes, you could say, or brush strokes. The Lord is not trying to give to us in details about exactly what kind of things this man of lawlessness will, is going to do. But he does warn us. He says, but when he comes, 
He will do great things, and he will do it in the power of Satan. And so what we need to understand to hear, beloved, is that the spiritual powers of darkness, even today, are very powerful, and they're all around us. The devil will use the power that he has to make the people of this world bow down and to serve him. And that's why also today we need to be on guard against the great work of the evil one. Because we see his work all around us in the world in which we are living. Perhaps you're going to say we even see it here among us, in our own lives even. And therefore Paul adds in verse 10, he says that his evil power will be displayed in every sort of evil that deceives And so he adds this to to show that these miracles, these signs, these wonders, they're done out of evil. They're done out of an unrighteousness. Right in verse 9, we we read that they're all counterfeit. They're counterfeit, not in the sense that they are not real or that he does not really do these things. No, the thought here is that they are done under the pretense of falsehoods and the pretense of lies. The lawless one is not interested in using these things that he might promote the truth in this world, but he uses them to promote lies and evil and unrighteousness. That also doesn't mean, beloved, that all the signs and wonders he does are evil in themselves. For example, he might have the power to to heal someone. Well, when you heal somebody, you can say, well, in itself, that's a good thing. He may have the power in order to, uh, to remove some kind of problem uh, or struggle in a person's life. Again, that in itself is not a bad thing. It can even be, be a good thing in itself. We know that also today evil rulers, they will often do good things for the people over whom they, they rule. Not because they want to be good, but because they want the people to praise and to worship them. And therefore, Paul does not mean evil in the sense of doing all kinds, necessarily of all kinds of horrible things, but he displays his power in doing all kinds of things so that the people will stand in awe before him and will come and they will worship him as their God. That is evil. That is unrighteous. Because in that way, he opposes the Lord God Almighty. And so his entire purpose is that he might deceive mankind into denying the Lord God of heaven. John sees in Revelation 13, 14, that the beast did great miraculous signs to deceive the inhabitants of the earth. See, beloved, that is the goal. That's the goal that the man of lawlessness has. He's using his power, he's using his great abilities to deceive mankind into worshiping him instead of worshiping the Lord God of heaven and earth. So here we are confronted Beloved, we're confronted with a great spiritual battle that has taken place in the world in which you are part of that spiritual battle. We need to understand that the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the beast, is also at work in this world today. And that we are confronted with it daily in our lives, even when we perhaps we don't even always recognize it or see it. You see, the spirit of the beast, for example, when there are Christian leaders... We're promoting the agenda of the beast. When spiritual leaders call that which God declares to be wicked or to be sin, when they declare it to be good, and when they declare that which God says is good to be evil or to be wicked, there you see the spirit of lawlessness 
at work. Yesterday I was just reading an article about the situation in the Baptist churches in the southern United States who are fairly conservative, who uh, want to be faithful to the scripture, want to be faithful to God. And there's a battle going on also within, uh, within their own midst. There are spiritual leaders, ministers, seminary leaders who, who are trying to promote uh, the, the secular agenda also with regard to sexuality and other issues as well. And they're trying to undermine the very truth. And there you see spiritual leaders coming in. And and the devil is using them to undermine those who want to remain faithful to his word. If you look over the past 25, 30 years, I think things have changed a whole lot in the society in which we're living. It's almost, you almost say that morality has been set upside down. So that calling the killing of an unborn child, namely what we call abortion, we're told that is good. And that those who oppose such killing and and who oppose abortion, such people are now called evil and hate mongers. And the same is true with regards to moral issues surrounding marriage. What is marriage? Or surrounding gender. How did God create us as male and then female? And we have a society that wants to set it upside down. And if you say, wait a minute, God has created us all male and female, and, we, and there's no ambiguity about that, we're told that that's hatred. You know, people often ask, what is the mark of the beast that John sees here in Revelation 13, 666? What does that mean? Sometimes people say, well, that's maybe a physical mark that, that, that is being placed on God's people. But it's not necessarily a physical mark that we have to wear. It can simply be that we are, that our society and then also wants to force us to agree to certain ideas in order that, might, that we might be able to just do business and just be able to participate in, in the life of, the, of our society around us. Perhaps some of you are aware that... Uh, Recently, and it's, it's an ongoing controversy also here in, in Canada, and it's just been going to, 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 the, to the courts, that charities and businesses are being required to check off a box when they apply for government grants uh, for being able to hire workers, especially during the summer. Check off that box that says that your organization is not involved in, in working against abortion. Government wants, also the charities, wants businesses uh, to agree to their moral uh, concept of what is right and what's wrong, also when it comes uh, to uh, the issue of uh, abortion. They will deny us also funding. That's just a, uh, one way in which they want to sideline also us as Christians from being involved in the activities of our society, even in an economic kind of way. Well, we know that many charities, Christian charities refused, and many business, Christian businessmen refused, simply because they could not in good conscience check a statement that is abhorrent, that is abhorrent to them. Now, I know in, in many conversations that I, that I have with, with God's people, I hear, oh, you also are aware, very much aware, in tune even with the evil and the wickedness that is being promoted around us in the world. More and more, you can say, it kind of stares us straight in the face. And we see these signs. 
of the age of lawlessness coming. It becomes clearer and clearer to us. And so when we see that and, and we become worried about it and we say, no, what's the future? What's the future for our children and for our grandchildren? And so we can become uh, quite anxious. And so on the one hand, we might become indeed anxious and we, might come up and we might become alarmed. On the other hand, beloved, remember that is a confirmation. It's a confirmation to us that the Lord is still in control. Confirmation that the events in this world are unfolding, even as he has said they would unfold. That, beloved, that's a comfort to us. And so the warning that we need to to heed is that we do not allow ourselves to be pulled in and to be deceived by the powers of the evil one, but but that we remain strong in the truth of the gospel. So Paul says there are many who will be deceived. But who are those who are being deceived? Well, Paul says the, the lawless one deceives those who are perishing. That is, those who are on the way to their own destruction. So you see, the lawless one will have great, will have great success in deceiving all those who are walking down the path of their own destruction. They will indeed be people who are convinced about those, uh, those false miracles and signs and wonders he performs. They will believe that he is God, and therefore they will fall down and they will worship this wicked power of sin and lawlessness. And so the question here is, so, so why do all these people, why are they all taken in by the lie of the lawless one? Can't they see through it? Why did they fall for it? Why are they mesmerized by the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the great things that he is able to do? Why are they so gullible? Paul gives the answer at the end of verse 10. He says they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They're gullible, beloved, not because they have never heard the truth. Paul says but because they refuse to love the truth when the truth is spoken to them. When Paul speaks about the truth, he's talking here about the truth that saves us. The truth here is the gospel message that is found in the word of God. Paul makes very clear that these people are responsible for their own destruction. For when the truth of the gospel is being proclaimed to them, they do not just reject the truth, but they refuse to love the truth, which means they hate it. When the gospel message is proclaimed, there are only two possible responses to that gospel message, beloved. Either you love the truth of the gospel, or you will reject the gospel because you hate what the gospel stands for, what the gospel teaches. You can also put it this way, there are only two narratives or two stories to which uh, you'll find in this world, and, and we have to choose whether we're going to live according to the one narrative or according to the other narrative. The one narrative is the one that's given by the lawless one, who brings the message he receives from the devil, from Satan. The other narrative is the one that is given to us by God uh, through his son, Jesus Christ. And everyone who, who loves the one hates the other. The Lord makes it very clear. He says, no, there's no neutral ground here in this world in which we are living. So as Christians, we, we love the gospel message. And we hate the message that we hear from the evil one. 
Whereas the unbeliever hates the gospel message and he loves the message that he hears from the evil one. And no one, no one can say, oh, I just take the middle road between the two as if uh, we, can, uh, we can take some, some middle road. For Jesus says in Matthew 12, he says, he who is with me, he, he who is not with me is against me. So the question is, so what is the gospel message? Well, God's reveals in his holy word that he is the almighty God who's created the heavens and the earth. Already in the very beginning, the Lord God reveals to us that our life as human beings, we are completely dependent on God's constant care. And that it is impossible for any one of God's creatures, including us, to live independent from the Lord our God. Because if we should try to live independent of God, we will all surely perish. That's the first thing. We are dependent upon God, and God is the God who will give life uh, to his creation, to his creatures. God in his word also reveals our own sinfulness. Reveals our rebellious nature against him. And over against our sins and our rebellious nature, the Lord God comes and reveals to us in his gospel his grace and his mercy. He does that by sending his very own son, whom he says, I have sent as the one who will pay for all of your sins. He comes that he might again restore you to uh, live in relationship with me as your God. And so all those who love the truth that God gives in his word will rejoice at that gospel message. And we realize, you know, what a blessing it is. What a wonderful blessing that I have, that I may know Almighty God to be my God. That I may know my God to be the one who cares for me so much that he sent his very own son to die for me and to bring me into that living relationship with him again. Beloved, is that love of God's truth that must also motivate your heart, must motivate you to give your whole life in service to your God. That love for God and for Christ that makes you want to serve the Lord with your whole life because you believe that you have a God who truly cares for you. God who will do what he promises when he says, I will forgive you your sins and I will give you the life everlasting. We love the fact that our life is now part of that wonderful narrative in which we know that God comes and he saves us through his son, Jesus Christ. Those who, on the other hand, refuse to love the truth, well, they hear the same message. They hear the same message. How many of God's covenant children, heaven's, sat under the preaching of God's word and heard the gospel over and over again. But they have rejected the gospel because they hate the gospel message. Jesus says, whoever rejects me and refuses to love me, hates me. There is, Jesus says, no middle ground in your life. Those who, hurt the, those who, who hate the Lord Jesus by rejecting him, therefore open themselves up, Paul says, to the deceitful lies of the lawless one. Right When people reject Christ, they accept the narrative of the devil. And therefore they are wowed by the miracles and the signs and the wonders that he does. When they reject Christ and, and let themselves be deceived by the lies of the evil one. 
Paul says they cannot be saved, but they will perish. They will, serve, they will suffer eternal destruction in hell. And that's why the Lord also comes to us, beloved, and warns us that we are not deceived by the lies of the lawless one. It means that we need to be very much aware of the false narrative that the evil one is, is feeding us as well. You see, the devil's cunning. The devil doesn't only use physical force when he persecutes people by making their lives hard and difficult or even by killing them. But he also uses false lies, he uses falsehoods, he uses deception. And the only way that, that, you can de- that you can avoid from being deceived, beloved, is to know the word of the Lord your God. Why? Because the gospel constantly reminds us of the truth from God. And the truth is what sets us free from the lie. And the truth is the way by which the Lord God protects us from becoming ensnared by the lies of the wicked one. But the Lord Jesus also gives us an assurance, a wonderful assurance that the lawless one has no power He has no power to destroy the lives of God's people. Remember Jesus says in Matthew 24, 24, false Christs and false prophets will appear. They will perform great signs and miracles and they deceive even the elect and deceive even the elect. And then he adds these important words, if that were possible, if that were possible. So Jesus says the aim of the lawless one is to deceive the elect. That is, all those whom God has chosen to eternal life. That's his goal. That's his aim. Classic example, a classic example of that is found in the, in the life of Job in the Old Testament. Remember that, that Satan came to God and, and he said to God, you know what, I, I can pull Job away from, from you. It's not going to be too hard to, to get Job to, to curse you and to become and, and to reject you. And God, in effect, says to Satan, well, you try me. Try me. Try me and see if, if I will be faithful to my servant Job. And so God gives Satan the permission to go and to make life's Job miserable. And Job takes every, or Satan takes everything away from Job, even makes his life so miserable that he sits on the ash heap there in the garbage dump boils all over his body. But no matter what Satan tried, he could not pull Job away from God. Why? Because, beloved, the Lord God held on to his servant Job. God was faithful to his servant. And so Jesus now says, he says, in these last days, the attack of the evil one, yes, it will be ferocious. He will do everything he can to deceive God's people, even try to deceive his elect into believing the lie. Beloved, we need to understand there will indeed be a serious challenge in our lives as God's people. We need to understand that, that God may also at times allow us to struggle. But we may also be confident when we turn to him in faith and we seek his strength that the Lord God will not allow the evil one to succeed. 
Jesus says, in effect, to think that the elect might fall for the lie, to think as if that were possible, there is no way because God is more powerful and God will hold on to his elect. What a wonderful assurance the Lord Jesus gives to us, beloved, that we have a God who's going to hold on to us. Now keep this in mind. Paul does not tell us that so that we might somehow become complacent and say, oh, well, my life is okay because God's going to hold on to me. Because that very attitude causes us to stumble and to fall. But Paul reveals this to us so that that he might give to us the encouragement that we need to continue to hold on to the truth. Give us the encouragement that we need to, to know that in the midst of the struggles of life, When I look to the Lord, that the Lord will indeed hold on to me and he will also help me to win the battle in Christ. So that finally Paul says in verse 11, For this reason God sends them a powerful delusion, so that they will believe the lie, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. See what Paul says, he says there comes a point when God in his judgment sends a powerful delusion on the hearts and the minds of the unbeliever so that it will become impossible for them to see the truth anymore because their hearts have been completely hardened. When people continue to resist the gospel and continue to resist the truth, there comes a point when they can no longer turn back from the lie. For the lie will become all-consuming in their lives. Remember in Egypt, children, you may remember that God sent Moses to, to Egypt to tell Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh to let my people Israel go. What did Pharaoh do? Remember, Pharaoh refused. And then what did God do? God went and he sent a number of plagues on Egypt. And those plagues made life very difficult. And every time God sent a plague, then the king Pharaoh would, uh, Pharaoh would then also say, yes, I will let my God's people go. And then when God took the plague away, then he would change his heart and he would go back on his promise. And then you read after the first six plagues uh, that Pharaoh hardened his heart after each one. And then you come to the seventh plague. And after the seventh plague, then you read this. Now the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. You see, that was God's judgment. There was now no longer any possibility for Pharaoh to do what is right. Pharaoh was now determined, even though he knew better, to resist God to the very end. Well, you know, Paul speaks about such a hardening in the hearts of mankind in his letter to the Romans in chapter 1. There he writes that mankind deliberately refuses to believe God, even though the truth of God can be seen through everything that God has created. And because they reject God, Paul writes, they become so wicked that finally God will say, uh, finally God says in verse 24, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart. 
What that means, beloved, is that God's judgment is already coming today on the lives of the wicked. There will come a point when people continue to deny the gospel, when they continue to live in sin and rebellion against God. God finally, in his judgment upon them, gives them over to their wickedness. To give them over means to deliver them to their wicked master, who is indeed the lawless one, so that they can never, ever escape the lies of the devil. Beloved, we live in such a time in which our culture is being given over by God to their lies and to their deception. You know, the seeds were sown already long ago when people began to turn away from the truth of God's word. And slowly what you see in our culture is we have a culture that turns away from the, from the morality that God teaches us in his word. And our, new, and our culture today insists on a new morality. What kind of morality is it? It's a morality that destroys families. When everybody kills little children in the womb. Destroys marriages. And saying that we no longer need to look at marriage as God has instituted and created in the beginning. The new morality destroys relationships. Because people are no longer in there to serve others but to serve themselves. New morality is one in which people are looking out only for their own individual pleasures of life. We live in a society that you can say becomes increasingly narcissistic. That means that people are looking more and more out for their own means, for their own pleasures. And they care less and less about others. Christ once said that love in the end will grow cold. We can say that, beloved, is God's judgment over our society. And it will lead to the destruction of the stable society as we have known it. Well, as Christian believers, we need to be aware of the lies and the falsehoods of our culture all around us. Why? Because, beloved, the devil is using that to try to also pull you into their wicked and their evil ways. And sometimes we don't even realize the subtle ways in which all of us are being influenced. Right? As young people, you live in this culture. And there's all kinds of temptations all around you in this culture. The culture simply says, you know, follow our new morality. It's so much better than, than following all the rules that you are being taught there in church or being taught by your parents. As if those rules are, are, are things that are meant to make your life miserable rather than as things that are there to protect you. And beloved, is the danger isn't only there for our youth, it's also there for all of us. Also our, uh, as we get older and perhaps, even, perhaps the danger is even there when we become retired. When we have all kinds of time to, to, to do all kinds of things and leisure and we might get pulled away so easily too because we have time to, to do the things that, that pull us away from the Lord. So we need to, to be aware so then of the, the pull that our culture has upon our lives. We need to be aware of how unhealthy many of those things can be. And so we need to stand up against those things in this hostile world. But beloved, if, if you love the truth, if you love the gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ, 
If you love the almighty God of heaven and earth who promised in Christ Jesus that he will protect you, that he will care for your life, well, then you will not be taken in by the deceptive lies of the lawless one. And in faith, you will eagerly look forward to the coming of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Because you know that when he comes, he will then also restore your life. And that you may enjoy glorious life everlasting. Amen.